for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. My name is Marshall. We were grooving to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just hit different this morning. Just chords and tap, 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 <laughs> tap, 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 tap. But it hit right. Yeah. Hey. How you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah. We have fresh coffee. We do. We never, we, we've Sh- made jokes about how bad our coffee mm. Our our criteria for office coffee is gone. Right. <laughs> but today, yeah. Donna brings us a fresh cup of tins. I know. Shout out to Donna. Thanks, Donna. Yeah, no, this is great. It's not like microwaved coffee that's been in the fridge for a week. Which, you know, I drink that anyways, but this is better. <laughs> this is definitely better. All right. Mm. Today's episode. Mm-hmm. Man, we've, we've spent some time... Doing things that hit in a different kind of way. I, I was thinking about it like this when I was preparing. The Spurgeon sermon, uh, the Spurgeon sermon, the Spurgeon episode aside. Right. It's been a long time since we've done something that we would be like, this is great and we get behind it. Mm. You feel that? Yeah. There's been a, there's been a lot of... This stuff going on at the same time, mostly been religion in the Americas. Yeah. Particularly the U.S. Yes. Right? When we were talking episodes back about the Mayflower coming over and the priesthood of all believers, we said it was going to lead to some stuff. Mm -hmm. And we have gone through that stuff. Which made me wonder a little bit, because it's not just in the U.S., right? Right. Even in Spurgeon, they've like they've swung to the far ends of the pendulum, and Spurgeon is just sort of sitting in the middle, mm. loved by all, hated by all sure. kind of a situation. He's dealing with his own stuff. It's an era of these struggles. Really bright spots. Spurgeon, Moody, those kinds of guys. Sure. Um, I wonder if they shine that much brighter because of the era that they were in, where things were just kind of all over the place. Right. Although, we still read them today, so. Yeah. Yeah, maybe just having kind of a solid grounding in the Word of God um, makes them timeless, and that's why we still respect them and, yeah, Yeah. hold them in. I regard. Um, we haven't changed much on the timeline. No. So do you have stuff? Yeah, I do. Because okay. we, we, we are crossing into, we are definitely crossing into the 1900s. We're not going to get too deep into the 1900s. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, so I've, got some, I've got some things here. Uh, from 1899 to 1902, there was the Second Boer War. Um, so here in Canada, Tim, you might notice that on some of the war memorials, you'll have World War One, World War Two, and you might have something that says the Boer War. I've not seen not it. Not seen it. Some some places have it. Um, essentially, the British government and ethnically Dutch Africans uh, fought a war over okay. who was the biggest and baddest in South Africa. Okay, and a bunch of Canadians went to go fight. Uh, it was. It was imperialism at its finest, essentially, <laughs> and 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 so it was kind of like the British throwing their weight around and the the Dutch not liking it and the 
the, they weren't they weren't called Dutch, but they were Dutch, um, and they were pretty terrible to their their uh, black African neighbors. Okay, so every, everyone was just kind of a bad guy in that one. Um, although we, I'm sure, maybe we'll get an email saying no, no, no. Um, September eighth, nineteen hundred. A massive hurricane hits Galveston, Texas, mm-hmm. and kills 8,000 people. Right. That's four and a half Katrinas. Yeah. Um, January 1st, 1901. There's an incredible documentary about that. Oh, is there? Hurricane, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, see, I thought only bad hurricanes happened in the last few years. Um, so January 1st, 1901, six British colonies federate to become the nation of Australia. <laughs> the Aussies. The Aussies. The Aussies, yeah. Um, 1902, William Carrier develops the practical air conditioner. So kind of the first time you had an air conditioning unit that could actually like was, was practical. Right. Because they had a paper plant Mm. in New York city, a printing press, I think in Mm -hmm. New York city. And the humidity was so high Mm. that it was messing with their production. Right. And so the purpose of the air conditioner was to bring down the humidity Right. The resulting effect, it cooled the room. Yeah. Bonus. We'll take it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, 1907, Pablo Picasso paints Les Demoiselles d'Avignon, this kind of cubism art that he does. I'm not a big fan of it, but a lot of people are. Um, April 5th, 1912, or April 15th, rather, 1912, the Titanic st- strikes an iceberg and sinks. In less mm-hmm. than three hours, and about fifteen hundred are dead. I happened to stumble across an article the other day, and it was actually a spiritual article, but it was drawing kind of this parallel to the, the sinking of the Titanic. I said the reason that they speculate now, as they've kind of done more research in, in you know into the wreckage and whatnot, the reason the Titanic sunk was they they bought cheap rivets. They had hmm. low quality rivets that had a lot of slag and stuff in them. And so the idea is if when the when the boat hit the Titanic, there was a series of like sections that kind of burst and and sure flooded. Um, if even just one less hadn't, the Titanic would have stayed afloat. Hmm. Um, and so anyways, and then, yeah, looking into the records and how they source materials, there was all this pressure to like get to, it out to get it out. And, you know, so they've got these beautiful chandeliers and staircases and, you know, solid brass fittings That'll everywhere. Preach. And just, yeah, the rivets weren't good. Mm-hmm. So anyways, uh, 1913, the first crossword puzzle appears in the New York World newspaper. Uh, 1914. the Pan- That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool, eh? Uh, 1914, the Panama Canal is completed. So, I mean, saving ship captains everywhere a ton of time and money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on June 28th, 1914, Archduke Franz Ferdinand is mm. assassinated. And it sets off a series of events, dominoes, that will culminate in World War One. Yeah. And that's what I got for today. Riding down the street in a parade. Yep. Man jumps up yeah. to the window. They try to escape. Mm. Hit a back alley. There's a group waiting for them. Mm-hmm. Ferdinand of Austria is gone. Yeah, yeah. The the uh, had a lot to do with obviously like issues between different ethnic groups in Yugoslavia, which actually continued 
mm-hmm. even beyond the world wars into the 90s, right? Yep, yep. Okay, so today we're going to talk about a relatively new, but I would say a powerful force. Oh, definitely. They would definitely say powerful. Yeah. But definitely power, powerful, but they, yep. yeah. Uh, powerful force in Christianity today. Yeah, and, and we're going to open with... Uh, disclaimers as we have we should yeah for the last bit of uh of these more touchy kind of things right uh we're not going to call this tertiary mm-hmm. this is definitely secondary yeah yeah and and in some extremes primary yeah in certain extremes yeah yep uh so we'll call it secondary i'm going to do the thing where i like i got friends that are Right. right, which yeah. is we all do, which is the way people go about saying um, this. I, I'm I'm not hating on a thing. Uh, it never works, <laughs> but it's always the claim that we make. Right. Um, I I actually texted a couple of Pentecostal friends this morning. Oh, did you to say, hey, when are we getting together for coffee, we were going to do this. Mm. We got to get together before the episode drops, right? They, they'll turn me <laughs> down. Not going to coffee with you anymore. Uh, so, just to tip it, that's we're going to talk about the rise of Pentecostalism. That's right. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast mm-hmm. and you don't have a Pentecostal friend, mm. I want to hear from you. Yeah, because that would be strange. Right. It's it's like you said, it's very new. Mm-hmm. But it's a powerful movement. Oh, sure, yeah. And makes up a huge percentage mm-hmm. of modern Christianity. Yeah. Uh, depending on the numbers, depending on how you kind of organize various groups that might not be called explicitly Pentecostal or whatever, like depending mm-hmm. on how you kind of shape it, arguably the second largest after the Roman Catholic Church. Right. And, and my last disclaimer is going to kind of lead us into the discussion a little bit. Okay. My last disclaimer is this. We're going to talk about the rise of Pentecostalism, not the birth of Pentecostalism. Mm. I, I think I, what, what can happen is this. We can, we can look into history and we can find traces mm. of movements that we've talked about on this show yep. that are, I just called it a show and that felt really weird. That we've talked about that are hyper-experiential. Yep. The Quakers. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. We're going to talk about uh, groups that are very emotive mm-hmm. in the Second Great Awakening mm-hmm. and the revivalist movements. These things are not Pentecostalism. No. But they are the foundations that Pentecostalism grows from. Sure, like precursors or whatever. You that's why. Yeah. That's why I would say it's the rise and not the birth of. Yeah, because to me, birth says there was nothing. Then there's Azusa Street revival, right? And now there's a thing, right? Right. There's there's this familiarity that, with what will become Pentecostalism in various forms. The, the, these aren't even unified forms, mm. right? The Quakers aren't doing the revivalist movement thing in the set. They're not leading the revivalist movement. So they're not like forefathers. They're two different elements that American Christians had become comfortable with. And those things come together and with some other things. And then you have a rise of a new thing. Right. Right. Yeah. And so 
the way that that leads into discussion, and I, I know that you normally lead off with okay. all the historical stuff, but I want to lead with this historical note. Pentecostalism as a theology. Mm. Speaking in tongues as it's done. As it's done, yeah. As it's done, the, the glossolalia. Uh, and bab- understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as an experiential thing has not been taught or even discussed in church history to this point. Mm. Mm. This is a this is a fresh take. Right. Yeah. I mean, yes, yes it is. And and that and I, I just want to say because we spent a lot of time talking about the fathers of this and the fathers of that mm-hmm. and how you can run things all everything runs back to Augustine. Mm. Or so they say. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh and, and I, I think people be like, oh, Pentecostals, yeah, they we haven't talked about them. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been anything to talk about till today. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, no, I'm glad you started with that that kind of opening because it kind of it provides some space to to briefly touch on some of those things that were deeply influential in the emergence of Pentecostalism because you tended to have people come out of particular movements that formed the the core right. of what would become the Pentecostal Church. So there was within Wesleyanism, we mm-hmm. talked about John and Charles Wesley, right? Within Wesleyanism, there was the holiness movement, yep. which was really big on experience, um, really big on kind of the supernatural power in the believer to Very av- legalistic. avoid sin. Yeah, they taught perfect sanctification. So not all Wesleyans do this, mm-hmm. but this branch were like, no, if you're a Christian, you walk perfectly because the Spirit's inside you and you can do that now. Right, which um, means women never cut their hair. <laughs> Men never trim their beards. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's just part of the holiness movement. Oh, is the it women really? didn't cut their hair. Oh, I thought you were just throwing something out no. there. No. Okay, fun. No, that was part of their legalism and dress. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. Um, there's also something called the Keswick movement, mm-hmm. or the higher, also known as the higher life movement. Um, this idea that like Christians need to move beyond their initial conversion. And like at face value, you know, we would say, well, yeah. Like, if you're born again, you should, like, be growing and pursuing Christ-likeness and, and you know, exercising your gifts and, and learning more and, you know, loving the Lord more. But this this really slips into, like, no, there's another experience you need. This is the precursor to what the Pentecostals are really going to latch on to. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a second work, secondary work that right. is kind of the other thing, maybe even the better thing that is separate from being born again. Yeah, and and that's that's interesting because um when you hear that it sounds like way off base mm-hmm. the Keswick movement thing. Yeah. I think it is. Mm-hmm. But but sometimes we embrace these people not realizing that they hold that. Are you going to drop the name that I think you're going to drop? Hudson Taylor? Okay, yeah. So Hudson Taylor the China Inland yeah. Mission. He's one. I was was big into this. DL um, Moody was too. Yeah. Moody Moody gets into it too. Yeah. I mean it's a novel thing and and I can understand the appeal because you know, keep in mind, you know, through after hundreds of years of kind of established church Christianity, I mean you do get these these lulls, 
right? Or at least what appear to be lulls within the life of the church and life mm-hmm. of individual Christians, where it just seems like people are just going through the motions. They don't really mean it and nothing's happening and no one's doing anything. Right. Right. And so that longing for like, no, we need revival. We need something new to happen. Right. Like we're, we want the spirit to be working, you know, in us and through us as, you know, as we, as we like to say, um, but it, it goes from a, a good, healthy desire in response to a less than ideal situation to to theology that's really flirting dangerously with yeah. all out error, right? Yeah, the desire for, the desire for more and new is a dangerous desire in the church. Yeah, it can be. Yep, for sure. Um, and so one of the key figures from this that's going to play a major role, um, kind of the immediate precursor, if we can call him that, was a guy by the name of Charles Fox Parham. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an independent holiness Wesleyan preacher, um, started a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas in the year 1900. Um, and his kind of new thing that he taught was that speaking in tongues was the necessary evidence of being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So the secondary blessing, what will happen is you will speak in tongues. Right. Which I was going to say caveat though, in his teaching, Speaking in tongues was speaking in other languages, not mm-hmm. glossolalia. We'll, we'll get into the distinction, right. but but speaking in other languages. Um, and so because of that, he believed that missionaries in the future would no longer need to even study foreign languages. They just know, God would just give them whatever language they needed to go wherever it is that they needed to go. Which does for a while catch on. Oh, yeah. Once the charismatic movement is a full thing oh, yeah. of people just going on missions without having studied because God's going to miraculously translate their message. Mm-hmm. Um, Can God do it? Sure. Sure, if he wanted to. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> no, it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he travels throughout the Midwest, Kansas and Missouri in particular, until he decides to start a new school in Houston, Texas. Um, had a lot of students. One particular student is going to be significant in the story of Pentecostalism, and his name was William J. Seymour. And William J. Seymour was um, a black American born to emancipated slaves in 1870. Um, His family was Catholic. Um, They were subsistence farmers, so they kind of lived on the edge of the poverty line. They were free, but they were broke. Um... He ends up moving north, um, probably to kind of avoid some of the extremes of Jim Crow and, you know, racial discrimination and whatnot. So he goes to Indianapolis, and there he begins attending a Methodist church where it's there that he's converted to evangelical Christianity, right? So he's no longer a Catholic. He's, you know, would identify as a born-again believer. Um, and in this particular Wesleyan church or Methodist church rather, um, is involved in this whole holiness movement that we mm-hmm. already mentioned. Right. And, you know, he's taught at this church that, you know, core things that need to be done on a regular basis, uh, faith healing. Yeah. Um, foot washing, which, Hey, I'm going to talk about in our sermon on Sunday. So, you know, nice. um, foot washing, right? Not faith healing. Both faith healing and no, foot- no, no, for the sermon on Sunday. Oh, yeah, foot washing. Not talking about faith healing. Wait, yeah. no, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> think it's going to be. Uh, th- so, faith healing. So, the other things we already mentioned, but faith healing, foot washing, and the uh, imminent second coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, within the holiness movement and later in the Pentecostal movement, that's a, that's a big deal. We can talk more about it later, but 
That's that's all. That's a common theme. Um, he then goes to Cincinnati, and while he's living there, he gets he contracts smallpox, which actually causes him to go blind in his left eye. And Seymour believed that this was a direct judgment from God for resisting the call to ministry. That's the way he understood it. Right. So God cursed me by giving me smallpox and making me go blind. Again, can God do it? Sure. Yep. Maybe. It's in... Anyways, it's interesting. Um, He then goes to Houston where he meets Charles Fox Parham, who we mentioned before, and studies at his school. Um, Although due to... Interestingly, though, due to the Jim Crow laws, he had to actually sit on a chair outside of the classroom and kind of poke his head through the door just so that he wasn't technically studying alongside of whites. Um, And when, when they did street evangelism, he could only preach to black people, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's worth noting that... One of the one of the real one of the real honors of Pentecostalism, early Pentecostalism, mm. is that it broke down a lot of racial barriers. It did. It totally did. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 For and sure. In fact, the the number one pushback against it wasn't necessarily theological. I know. It was social. Yeah. And it it wasn't the churches that were speaking out. Of, Against the theology, it was the general public mm. speaking out against the segre- the um, desegregation integration. or integration. Yeah, integration. Sure, yeah. Uh, no, you're you're absolutely right. And I think there are some there are some some things that I want to I want to talk about when we're done or towards the end of the episode about positives. Is that your way of telling me to be quiet and quit stealing your stuff that you're going to use at the end of the episode? Yeah, uh, it is. I don't. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, uh, so he he's studying under Charles Fox Parham, right? Mm-hmm. Poking his head through the door to learn. Um, he ends up getting invited to pastor a church in Los Angeles, um, and so Seymour C- gets invited. Yeah, William first, Seymour. first just to do a revival service. Yeah, he preaches. Yeah, they love it. Yeah, they Come want to be the pastor. Yeah, Parham objects because Seymour, who has not yet um, spoken in tongues mm-hmm. and has therefore not been baptized by the Spirit, therefore not qualified in in the mind of his teacher to go. But William Seymour, the one-eyed preacher, goes anyways. Um, things get complicated when he gets there. The local association of holiness movement pastors remove him from the pastor, essentially, as soon as he gets there, like the church that he was supposed to preach in, they they kick him out because, okay, so this is we're getting to some technical stuff here. He believed so William Seymour believed that sanctification and baptism in the Holy Spirit were different things. So they believed the holiness movement. They believed in a two step salvation process. Seymour advocated for three. Mm-hmm. So. Right. So they would say, okay, you're born again, and then later on, there is kind of this like full sanctification, baptism of the Holy Spirit thing that's going to happen. Seymour was like, no, you're, you're, you're born again, then there's the full sanctification, baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, then there's the full san- sanctification, then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's three different things. So over that issue, bo- I mean, both of them are wrong in my view, but in any case. Yeah, and, and this, <laughs> is the, this is the thing to note. There is no way... To take the history of what's going on and say, oh, that's why they teach that. Right. You're, you're not going to hear these kinds of conversations and go, oh, that's exactly the kind of church that, 
I go to or my friend goes to or that I grew up in or whatever, right? That one of the issues we, we talked about this with the Baptist, we because it was us. We made all kinds of jokes about how messed up Baptist history was and how it was sort of all right. over the place and right. it's impossible to pin down. Right. Uh Pentecostals are even harder. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. uh because because they are churches beginning themselves because they're not from a particular group but sort of amalgamations of various groups mm-hmm. it's really hard to pin it down it has changed there has been we'll talk later about yeah. how some of that changes yeah uh but there, I, I just want to say i heard one one uh reference i was using to get ready said trying to use the history of Pentecostalism of charismaticism mm-hmm. to understand what your Pentecostal brothers and sisters believe is as simple as going to a modern Lutheran church to say, oh, that's what Martin Luther was teaching. <laughs> <laughs> Time has changed them greatly. Yeah. And I think maybe in in opposite ways. Yeah. I would in, say in some in some instances. In most instances, I would say Martin Luther was was probably the preferable option to modern Lutherism, Lutheranism. And I would say mm-hmm. in a lot of instances, modern Pentecostalism is much more orthodox than some of the things that are going on in these early days. It's kind of, it's a, it's a little bit of the wild West church planting frenzy is kind of what, what ends up happening here. So, so anyway, so he's not able to pastor this church. So he starts a prayer meeting in a friend's home and there's about, you know, 15 people or so who are gathering there um, and who are regularly praying specifically to receive the gift of tongues, desperate for it. They're fasting, they're praying, they, they want to be able to speak in tongues. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would keep reading the first four verses of Acts chapter two over and over and over again. Right. Right. Until suddenly certain people within the group begin to spontaneously speak in tongues. And the news gains a lot of attention. The group begins to grow quickly because it seems like something unique and special is happening within this group. And so they end up having to move from the little house uh, into um, an actual church building, an African Methodist church building, which is on Azusa Street. Right. Uh, Crowds gather, hundreds of people, um, sometimes over a thousand, pack into this this building and they have these regular meetings that would last sometimes from morning till night, seven days a week. They're just like mm-hmm. in there doing their thing all week long. Um, and suddenly Seymour goes from being, you know, being told he was disqualified by his or unqualified rather by his former mentor, right? Removed from office by the local association of pastors to now being at the center of this like massive movement. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's the most popular guy in town right he's got this this thing happening um and so he appoints elders and ordains pastors and sends out missionaries and you know he's just he starts a newspaper called the apostolic faith and there's just this like huge thing that happens in a very short period of time right yeah um the kinds of things that were happening i mean obviously it was a lot of speaking in tongues uh, it was a lot of big emphasis on the prophetic, uh, big emphasis on faith healing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like people were there to witness miraculous things happening. That was yeah. That's what it was for. And again, 
various positions on what tongues was right at the at that point uh not not a, not different positions than what are held today mm-hmm. but different positions than what are held within pentecostalism and charismaticism well yeah yeah because we would we would hold with some of the founders that this is speaking in a foreign language another language yeah. uh and and so at this point a lot of them believe that as they're speaking in tongues, they're speaking in foreign languages. They just need to figure out what language that is. Right. Right? Like God's gifted me to speak in this language. What language is it? Because maybe he's calling me to be a missionary or or to share the gospel with an immigrant family. Right. Maybe maybe I'm speaking some Slavic tongue. Right. And it's just no one here knows what that is. Yeah. And so that was that was a part of uh, the excitement and the enthusiasm. Yeah, that was the uh, dominant based view. Based off of, right. Yeah, that was the dominant view initially for the first couple of years. Right. Until people started realizing that these were not actual actual human languages. Right. Yeah, they would get they would get paired with the prophetic, mm-hmm. where someone would say, God's told me that you're speaking, and, and this isn't like we're, universal and on mass. No, these no, are no. instances right. where people would say, God's told me you're speaking this language. Um, so they would pack up, go to that country, show up, start doing their thing. And people be like, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. Right. Yeah. 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 Makes that be awkward. Uh, (laughs) It'd be hard to come home. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so again, the movement becomes known as Pentecostalism because they were likening this, what they've perceived as this this fresh movement of the Holy Spirit to be the same as what happened in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. Right. Right. So so they're they're drawing straight lines. So it's 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 a a viewing Christianity known as restorationism, which isn't unique to Pentecostalism. Anytime somebody says we need to be more like the church in Acts, that's restorationism. So they're mm-hmm. saying something has gotten lost in the weeds in the meantime and we need to go back to what they do what they did right right and i would say that can be positive that can be negative that can be just out to lunch sometimes yeah because the the church in acts was human yeah they have their problems they do i mean i said it sunday Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have the epistles if the church in acts had it together yeah oh yeah right paul paul explicitly (laughs) says i long for the day when I can write you and say, keep it up, boys. Yeah. Ladies, you're doing great. Yeah. Right? But alas, you do not afford me that opportunity. Yeah. Like, so here's another scathing letter. We're, we're talking about heavy stuff here. Like, like parents, plug your kids' ears for like three <laughs> seconds. Like, we're talking about like orgies and incest. Yeah. Like, we're talking about like, like just like really wicked, like people commit like doing pouring witchcraft like and celebrated like everyone in the church being like of course we know it it's fantastic <laughs> and so but then somewhere along the line we we come up with this idea that like man we just need to be exactly like the early church like we just got to be just like the church of the first century and it's like mm-hmm. uh, really <laughs> yeah it, like, we also get the notion that it's prescriptive and not descriptive right uh but that that kind of brings you back into this longing for tabernacle law mm. Right, mm. and and trying to equate New Testament worship with Tabernacle Law, and how things are supposed to be set up, where we gather, what you know, those kinds of things, which um, would, if they if they were necessary, would be as explicit in the New Testament as they are in the Old Testament. Right. 
Um, so that's that's also part of that draw, the, the idea that because they were closer to Jesus, they did it right and had an insight that we need. Right. Um, I, I, I firmly believe that insight would have been sustained mm-hmm. if it was that necessary. Yeah. Based on the fact that we have the Old Testament system mm-hmm. sustained for us when it's not necessary. Right. So, yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, yeah. We, yeah. There's so many things that I want to talk about, but I, maybe we'll get through the historical stuff before we get into some of the other sure. things. Um, so within a few years, this Azusa street revival had kind of blown up um, and had grown massively. A lot of their growth, either from new converts, a lot of people kind of from those movements we already mentioned, like the mm-hmm. holiness movements and Keswickian movements kind of grafting onto this new Pentecostal surge. Uh, within a few years, they've got churches across the United States and in like dozens of countries. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, it grows and it grows fast. Right. Um, there was criticism. Interestingly enough, as you mentioned, criticism from the community, um, more so than a lot of Christian denominations. There were Christian leaders who were critical of it. The most critical were the people who were close, most closely allied with them. So when I was kind of reading through the quotes, and I don't have a whole bunch here, but like, it's a lot of, it's like Wesleyan holiness pastors, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're like going after them or Charles Fox Parham himself, who was the teacher of William Seymour, who got this thing going. He had two major complaints. Well, that makes, sorry, Sorry, you you do the complaints and I'll tell you why it makes sense to me that those are the people most upset. Right. So the first is the, the one that's not justified is the racial mixing. Like he was, he was sure. ticked off about that. Um, the one that I think is maybe a bit more justified is xenoglossy versus glossolalia. So glossolalia. So xenoglossy is the fancy word for being able to speak and miraculously being able to speak in known like human languages. Mm-hmm. You didn't go to class and learn it, but you're speaking another language. Glossolalia is you know what you know tongues of angels or whatever. It's this unique different thing, right? That is unintelligible to anyone except to yourself for your, or anyone else yeah exactly yeah right unless well sometimes there's an interpretation thing and it's 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 sure. complicated so but. so what i would say the reason i say that it, it makes the most sense that that's where the pushback is coming from mm-hmm. is if you take it into the very modern place the very modern uh canadian context when Maybe 15, 20 years ago, Harvest started planting churches. Right. Did a great job getting it done, bringing in people. The most upset people, Feb pastors. Right. Yeah. Feb pastors, NAB pastors, <laughs> uh, CBOQ pastors. Why? Right. Because they're most closely aligned. Right. And they step up in the pulpit on Sunday and they're like, where did everybody go? Yeah. They went to the place that <laughs> believes the same thing, but just does it cooler. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. And so, and so for those, for those churches to see people leaving right. their congregations and going, yeah, it's on your radar in a different way. Yeah. That's fair, man. That's a good point. Where yeah. if you're a reformed guy, your people aren't heading over there right. in the same way. Right. It's true. So what's going on over there? I don't really know. I'm not paying much attention yeah. to it. Right. Yeah. You're not going to be speaking out against it. True. True. And there was no Twitter. So, <laughs> so 
while the while the movement saw extreme growth, and you know the Pentecostal movement has continued to this day dramatically, Seymour himself kind of gets embroiled in in conflict with his peers, mm. with others, um, most notably with a guy named William Durham. It's my understanding too that it's actually through Durham that the Canadian, uh, the, the Pentecostals Assemblies of oh. Canada, trace their roots through William Durham, who split from Seymour. That's my understanding. Um, so Durham taught that the baptism of the Holy Spirit did occur after salvation. So, so you're saved, and then you're able to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that is, that is a kind of standard for the Pentecostals in our backyard. Mm-hmm. What Seymour was teaching was that no, it's it's a three step salvation process. So, you're you're born again, sure. And then you're perfectly sanctified, and then you have Holy Spirit baptism, and it's only then that you are actually saved. So you have to go through the whole process to be saved, where Durham and his brand of Pentecostalism said, no, like, you're saved already. But it's this second blessing, this this bonus, uh, to to use it, talk about lately, but whatever, it's this extra thing that, you know, you should yearn for and seek and, and, you know, try to get. Right, where whereas one says, there's, it, it's not, it's not believe and be saved. Mm-hmm. It's believe and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this and this and this, mm-hmm. and maybe you'll be saved. Right. Um, the other is saying there are levels. Right. Of Christian. Right. Right. There's your your entry level average Joe. Yeah. Glad to have you. Yeah. Good you came. Yeah. Um, but then there's also the specials. I know those people who, who got the extra blessing, right. Which is the very Keswick notion, mm-hmm. right. We're going to find much later on with Watchman Nee mm. who really right. digs into this right. second level thing. Hudson Taylor does at this point, talk about it. Right. Um, but, but you have then these tiers of Christians, right. And so there's, you can be qualified in your faith, right. rather than standing on level ground. I know it always. I I have a lot of um, Pentecostal and charismatic friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're a ton of fun. They're mm-hmm. they're like it's interesting how it seems sometimes that denominations form around like personality types almost more than they can, right? Because yeah. like it's they're all my spontaneous friends. They're they're the guys who are like. Hey, like we're going canoeing three hours away in 15 minutes. You want to come? Yeah, grab your passport because who knows where we're going to end up. Yeah, like, and so those guys are a blast, right? But I always wondered, like, do they kind of look at me as like, oh man, wouldn't it be great if Marshall could be a real Christian? <laughs> no, it's true. And that's something that I wanted, that's something that I was going to bring up later, but I, I think it's worth interjecting right here. Mm. We're not going to play games to say, to, to lightly say we disagree with this, mm. right? Yeah, I don't do that with my friends. Right. Yeah. Neither do I. Right. I and and the reason is we're doing a disservice, right? So when I talk to Chad, who pastors the PAC Church here in town, mm-hmm. when Chad and I sit down, we start talking theology, and and we start doing the whole like, oh, but it's all kind of the same. I'd be like, it's not. Right. And we're doing ourselves a disservice to pretend that it is. Mm-hmm. Right. If if the goal then is civility, well, we should be able to disagree with civility, right? 
In fact, I would say that that's the higher virtue than pretending that we agree, mm-hmm. right? And so you can you can disagree. It, we are more mature people when we're able to look each other in the eyes and say, brother, I think you're wrong, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and enjoy your cup of coffee together. Right. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so... So if you if you hear us as we start saying things like I think you're wrong, well of course I do or I would be a Pentecostal pastor. Right. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right? And of course Chad thinks that I'm wrong. Right. Because if he thought that I was right, he'd be like, "Well, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> I'm going to go become a Baptist." <laughs> Right? right, right, and 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 it only it only makes sense to do that. We're not going to get into mocking. No, 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 because that's unfair. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where the civility of disagreement disappears mm-hmm. and gets replaced with an emotion that's unhelpful. Mm-hmm. But I I have the same feeling, right? Yeah, like I I look at some of those charismatic friends of mine, and and I wonder if they think, boy, you know what? <laughs> Tim Tim's working with to get his church just sort of over a hump and into mm-hmm. a next level of revival and I know exactly how he could get there. Right. He just himself is suppressing the Holy Spirit. Right. And within his church. Mm-hmm. And if he would just let that go, uh it would be waiting for them on the other side. Yeah. Um or or if they even like according to the depth of theology in most Pentecostal mm. circles that I've not spoken in tongues mm-hmm. could go so far as to mean I'm an unsaved right pastor right? yeah not in the mainstream of Pentecostalism no. but in certain not strands. in the Pentecostalism as it has become yeah but back then Seymour's Church yeah maybe oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. no and I, yeah that's that's kind of yeah that's I'm glad you mentioned that yeah so anyways this split between the steps of salvation or, or is it salvation and then an extra thing um, split the movement on Azusa street and it kind of slowly declined in significance. Um, Seymour remained there until he died in 1922. Um, and yet, even though there was departure and division, essentially like all Pentecostal denominations or I should, maybe not all, I shouldn't use it. Many Pentecostal denominations do trace their kind of theological ancestry back to that that movement, mm-hmm. right? To Azusa Street, mm-hmm. specifically. Um, it is viewed as like a second Pentecost. Like it, it, it is... You know, I've I've heard of you know I've heard in Pentecostal churches like pastors get up and and talk lovingly about that time and that place as being you know, the most significant thing mm-hmm. since the first Pentecost or right. maybe just that. I don't know. But so that's, you know, it's it's an important thing. There are a number of denominations that exist um, that can kind of trace their ancestry back to Azusa Street. There's the Assemblies of God, mm-hmm. the Church of God, um, Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, which would include the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, PAOC, um, United Pentecostals, the Pentecostal Holiness Church, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there is a charismatic, an, a different charismatic movement that's going to happen later mm-hmm. that is like heavily, heavily shaped by Pentecostalism, but is kind of its own thing. But yeah. that's for a later episode, I think. Right. Um, but in any case, that you know the, that Pentecostal movement now, because of its popularity, especially in South America. 
And in Africa. And in Africa, uh, there's tons, like tons and tons and tons and tons mm-hmm. of them, right? Like I said at the beginning, like somewhere, depending on how you count them, somewhere between 100 and 400 million worldwide. Um, yeah, only the Roman Catholic Church. Like they have more than like the Russian Orthodox Church, which is massive. Right. right? <laughs> They've got more than... Which, which basically <laughs> just claims every Russian born. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um there is, there are, we have to talk about, let's get into maybe some of the the theological distinctives okay. of the Pentecostal movement. One I want to kind of get out of the way, just kind of mention it, and then we can, we can shelf it, is there is a group known as Oneness Pentecostalism. So if you may have heard of, of Oneness Pentecostalism. Oneness Pentecostalism arose a couple decades after what we were, we were talking about today, I think in the 20s or 30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, a church leader believed that he had, it had been prophetically revealed to him that there is not a trinity, there is not a triune God, that Father, Son, and Spirit are just different names for the person of Jesus Christ, the God, Jesus Christ. It's modal, yeah, yeah. So that's that's heresy. Um, oneness Pentecostalism is heretical. Um, I've never. I'm sure they exist around here somewhere. I've never seen one. Um, again, most of the Pentecostal churches in our backyard are PAOC, which are not oneness Pentecostals. But that is a distinct group that we can shelf it. But that's mm-hmm. that's like straight up heretical, and I have no qualms talking saying that. And as as most Pentecostals would also agree with me. Yeah. So uh, in regards to kind of the mainline beliefs, Pentecostals are evangelical. Mm-hmm. You must be born again, and you are saved not by your works, but by faith. And in that, we have agreement, right? Right. And 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 as as the whole like you have to speak in tongues to be born again thing mm-hmm. changes, some of that gets narrowed down to the point of well, you can't be in leadership unless right, right. And and then narrowed down to the point of like well, not all gifts are for all people. Mm-hmm. So some people will speak in tongues, and right. in order to be a part of this church, you only have to acknowledge that some people will mm-hmm. speak in tongues, and that that's good for them. That's a gift that God has given them, and not you, mm-hmm. right? This that strong stance does still exist. Mm-hmm. I know a number of churches that would say, in in the same way that we would say to someone, you can't be a member unless you've been baptized. They would say you can't be a member. Unless you've spoken in tongues, right? Because you're not a Christian, right? Right. I I know that those churches exist, but more and more, mm-hmm. it's seen as a specific gift given to some, right? And you're just asked to sign off that you recognize it as such. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think yeah. In, in the in the modern context, that's much more much more common. Yeah. Um, and and I would even say in in some. Even, yeah. even PAOC churches mm-hmm. actively speaking in tongues yeah. in a church gathering is becoming more and more rare. Right. Yeah. Maybe in, well. in Bible studies and special prayer sessions, mm-hmm. stuff like that, you'll see it more. But if you just show up on a Sunday morning, you're less likely to see it than maybe you would have been in the past. Right. Right. And oftentimes they'll have like special services that are different. Yeah. That'll be like their like Holy Ghost rally or whatever. Um, yeah, growing up, like my mom's, my mom attended a, wasn't actually a PAOC church, but very charismatic church, um, independent, 
Um, but, um, yeah, so like the way that we were in that context, and I don't think this is necessarily how it would be done, um, in every circle, but like in the children's church, they're just like, yeah, just open your mouth and let the words come out. Like Mm -hmm. it was just, that's just what they taught us to do. Right. Um, and I was like one of the few kids who like didn't and was convinced that like, I'm the only one going to hell. Mm -hmm. And ironically, anyways, a lot of, unfortunately, I would say, um, a lot of those, those fellow kids that I knew and grew up alongside are are not walking with the Lord. So I, I don't know what was going on there, but I don't think it was, genuine um they would most pentecostals again would agree with us on on the idea of like biblical inerrancy um there are going to be certain areas where you know they might say we're playing loose or we would say they're playing loose um but overall they're you know they're they're going to be in line with that with that idea as well um in regards to their soteriology so in the their understanding of how people are saved Mm -hmm overwhelmingly Arminian, sometimes anti-Calvinistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not you're not often going to find a, a, a Pentecostal who's a Calvinist. I'm sure they very, exist. Very, very rare. Yeah, I'm sh- sure they exist, but like... Even, even a continuationist, which is a brand we have to talk about. So yeah. a, a continuationist is someone who would grab hold of... Am I, am I jumping okay. the gun? It's okay. I just have a list. <laughs> okay, someone, someone who would grab hold of their teaching on the gifts... But let everything else go. Right, right, right. Which is a bit surprising. Extraordinarily modern. Yeah. Like, we're talking within recent decades. Right, yeah, last 20 years, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And and John Piper. And John Piper. Yeah. Sam Storm. And Sam Storms, yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Um, so, a lot of times you'll, you'll hear discussion around kind of three... Um, three distinct baptisms. Mm-hmm. So there's a baptism into the body of Christ at salvation. Then there's water baptism, which mm-hmm. they perform in essentially the, an identical way to how we would in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, unless they're those oneness Pentecostals. Um, and then the Holy Spirit baptism that we've been discussing ad nauseum for, for a while now. Um, so that's going to be a thing. Um, you're going to get a, a lot of, um, in regard to their eschatology, um, again, almost exclusively pre-tribulational rapture um, and um, pre-mill, pre-millennial dispensationalism. So mm-hmm. all that means is uh, secret rapture of the saints, seven years, return of Christ, judgment, thousand-year reign, another uprising, another battle, another judgment. Right. That's, that's Which is like, again, we've already ta- we've talked about this already. But that was the last episode. That was the last yep. episode, yeah. So that this is where you're going to get. Again, you you might find some that aren't, but unicorns, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I always think they should be post mill, but that's a whole other. Yeah, it, it only makes sense to me. <laughs> to me, yeah. I know, I know, I know. I say that as a post mill, anyways. Um, and again, the sign gifts are huge, so we 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 can get into this. So, faith healing, and not even just praying for healing, but having healers or people who identify as healers, um, prophecy. Uh, words of knowledge and obviously speaking in, in tongues are all things that are expected to be a normal part of the life of the church. Right. Um, so again, again, the, the reason they, they they draw these connections back to Acts chapter two in the early church and in the book of as described in the book of Acts is that there are amazing things happening mm-hmm. in the time of the apostles. 
right? And so the one of the big, I guess, diff, dividing lines or dividing factors, you know, between um, a Pentecostal view of those gifts and um, and where we might be at, even though there's kind of gradations, it, it's a spectrum, not a either or. Let's be clear on that. Um, is the way I see it, I, I see that the regularity with which those things happened was directly connected to the fact that there were apostles. Right. Apostles in the in the first century context, an apostle was someone who could, like if you had to be in court in another city and you couldn't get there, like an, you could have someone stand in your place in court and literally get, provide your testimony. And like it was, it was seen as totally... Like you were representing that person totally and perfectly, mm-hmm. right? That is what an apostle was. That is what the apostles were. Right. And that is not what we are. And so I think right. there's a distinct office there that does not continue. Yeah. And this is this is where I start getting into to some of the red flags of Pentecostal Pentecostalism gone too far. Yeah. One one red flag to keep an eye out for is someone who refers to themselves as the apostle mm-hmm. or the prophet. Yeah. Reason being, right? The apostle apostle means the one sent. Right. That's the Greek word. Right. It's simple. Right. Yet there is a distinction inside of scripture between those apostles mm-hmm. that are just your average you and I who are witnesses, mm-hmm. you know. And those who are the twelve, right? Plus Paul, right? They they draw the distinction, and it is a very guarded thing that closes. Yeah. For someone to call themselves the prophet, they misunderstand the transition between Old Testament and New Testament. Not to say this anyone who says, "I I have a prophetic word" or whatever, but but when people are like, "I am the prophet," yep. What they're saying, the, the role of a prophet in the Old Testament is to be the mouthpiece of God, right? Mm. So the roles of prophet and priest, if you think about a telephone, the prophet was the part you stick to your ear. The priest is the part you would hold up to your mouth, right? Right. The priest speaks to God on your behalf. The prophet speaks to humanity on God's behalf, right? Right. That's the way those roles work. And when someone says, I am the prophet, they fail to realize that that office was closed by Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As per the book of Hebrews. Yeah. Yeah. And so they would say, okay, well, we, we, hear, of, we hear of, you know, prophecy being spoken of by Paul in the context of the churches and the, these types of things. So what does that refer to? And there's, you know, you can have some healthy debate about what that mm-hmm. is, right? I think the prophetic voice now right speaking to the people on behalf of god is primarily fulfilled in preaching as it is written yeah so it's not new revelation it is communicating the revelation that has come from the lord and never right? was frivolous no it wasn't like oh i think okay I don't you're gonna have, i don't you're gonna no, have a girl i, I yeah yeah, I almost said something that was. I'm not. I don't want to tease, but yeah. it's it's not. Yeah, it's not frivolous. It was always like meaningful truth. Like it Rep- was like mostly repent and be yeah, saved. Yeah, and not 
this is what is going to happen in your life, and this is who you're going to marry, and this is, you know, it's not it's not that kind of stuff. Right. That was never biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy was never really about that. It was always about this is the condition of the people, right? The most, to me, if I was going to give credence to a modern prophet, it would be because they came in and said, this the Lord holds against us. Mm. Repent. Yeah. Right? Because that is the pattern of Old Testament prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would I would agree with that. But I would also say Old Testament prophecy is, prophecy is fulfilled in Christ. Right. Yeah. And, like, you can test what people say, you know, by Scripture, obviously, is, is a healthy measuring stick. Um, it's difficult when things are vague. Right mm-hmm. when they they seem you know really vague and and even the idea of like prophetic schools like prophets being taught right. or healing schools those kinds of things that doesn't seem to be the pattern in the Old Testament either. Like you mm-hmm. had like Amos who was like watching sheep in Tekoa. Like he's a shepherd. He's a he's like he's like an a, an ancient hillbilly. And then God's just like, no, I'm grabbing you, and you're gonna go talk to the king and tell him that mm-hmm. judgment's coming, right? And so like that's... even as far back as Samuel. Yeah, or Samuel's a little boy, right? Yeah, he's so, sleeping in... Yeah, yeah. And so, like, the idea of, like, paying money to go to a school to learn how to prophesy... Mm-hmm. Ugh, just... Yeah. Just... And I have friends who've done it. I have yeah, friends I who've too. done Right? And, like, and love them. Um, but it's just... It just... Yeah, just... There's things that just don't sit, right? And unfortunately... Unfortunately, this idea of, like... Because I think one of one of the things... One of the things that Pentecostalism kind of recaptures a bit is that, you know, Christ's work and the the end goal of his work is encompasses the whole person, including the physical. We will have physical bodies in the redeemed creation. We will not be disembodied spirits. God God cares about the physical condition of his creation. Right. Right? I think the difference the difference is, though, is like if the emphasis is wanting to see the the physical corruption caused by sin fixed in the here and now, it's not that God can't do it. It's not that he doesn't do it at times. Mm-hmm. But the overemphasis on that aspect, the faith healing, right? right? Again, should we lay hands on people and pray for their healing when they're sick? Sure. We should. We don't do it enough. I don't do it enough. And I, I'm wrong in that. I should do it more. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm committing to doing it more. Um, but like if that becomes the, the thing, right, Right. that becomes the main focus. Like that's ultimately people's bodies will be healed in the new creation if Mm -hmm. they are in Christ, right? Like you want to, you want to feel better. Like you want that cancer to go away. Like, Hey, let's, let's lay hands on people. Like, let's do it for the here and now. And if, and if God chooses to heal that person, praise him. Yeah, and it's becoming a, a compoundingly common notion. Compoundingly, um, more and more, it's a it's a common notion to say God desires to heal all people mm-hmm. of all ailments, right? And and even to the point of saying, do not pray if it's your will, right? Because that's not faith enough, right? Right. Um, I have I have some pretty serious biblical problems with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we always pray God's will 
thy mm-hmm. kingdom come, thy will be done mm-hmm. on earth as it is in heaven, right? right. Uh, and and I also know that sometimes illness is a way of God getting someone's attention. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Or the way God's means of bringing them into an ultimate healing. Right. Right? So yeah. Paul didn't want people praying that he'd get better. Paul wanted to go. Right. Right. Yeah. I feel like he's almost <laughs> discouraged. He's like, ah, you know what? I get the notion that I'm going to be stuck here because you guys still need me. Um, but I, I made a list of, of things that I would say, these are, these are some of my hangups mm-hmm. a, as you go through them. I'm checking sure. them off. But one of them is there is a, an, an undeniable lineage from Pentecostalism into prosperity gospel. Oh yeah, because of that emphasis on the physical and the here and now, that will in the eighties, nineteen eighties, become prosperity gospel. Oh yeah, and the traveling faith healer mm-hmm. kind of movement. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There is a there is kind of a direct, you know, connection there. Um, but like, there is. <laughs> Yeah, so I think one of the things that that the Pentecostal movement did um, did kind of achieve, maybe it's not the right word, but kind of brought back into the it brought the the work of the Holy Spirit back into the conversation. Yeah, are you getting into the goods? Oh yeah, sorry. Okay, because some... I I want to run through some of the struggles. Yeah, that sure. I have. Yeah, go through the struggles. Yeah, let's talk um, about that. And and these are these are questions that I would I'd like to I would love to have conversations with people. Sure, about these sure, things, right? sure. Right, uh, tongues. As an act of Pentecost, mm-hmm. when I read the miracle of Pentecost, the miracle of Pentecost is that people who otherwise were incapable of communicating were miraculously able to communicate. Yes. Tongues, as it's practiced in Glossolalia, is people who were otherwise perfectly capable of communicating miraculously unable to communicate. Yes. Which feels like the opposite of Pentecost. Yes. Yeah. I, I call it a new movement, mm-hmm. a new thing. I don't think it's Pentecost. Right. That would be a question. Uh, one, and, and I have had a conversation with a guy about this, it's absence from all of church history. Yeah. I had a conversation with a guy who, who had posted, he's a friend of mine. Uh, from a church that I was a member of. He was a, a pastor of that church. Um, and his he was excited to say Pentecostalism is, because uh, this was a non-denom, but Pentecostalism is an expressly American thing mm. and was laying out the history as, like, look how God has blessed this people with this new revelation. And so I just threw up a... Personally, I find that concerning. Right. That until the 1860s, this only exists in whispers, and those whispers were disjointed and themselves only a few decades old. Right. Right? That origin is not having a conversation about these things. That we're not seeing healing services discussed at Nicaea. Mm -hmm. Right? All of these things mean... This might have meant something very different to them than it did to us. Mm-hmm. Now, do we have a progress of theology where we stand on each other's shoulders and understand better? Yes. Mm-hmm. But if this is so essential, it's glaringly absent. Yeah. And so the history is a hang up for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
secondary theologies, theologies that build on top of, become increasingly unbiblical in a kind of a Catholic way. Hmm. So let me, let me explain that. You're talking about things like varying levels of salvation. Right. Right? Well, there's this kind of a Christian, then there's an, another kind of a Christian. Or you have... You, here you're saved, you're born again, but not saved. Mm-hmm. You, the, the water is the next step, and then there's an, like all of these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. As, as the theology deepens, mm-hmm. it gets further and further away of being able to point at Scripture in its context mm-hmm. and say, you see here how it does this, and it becomes more and more logical process mm-hmm. that is often credited to the teacher and the authority of the teacher as God has given them insight, mm-hmm. which is very Catholic in the sort of like the teachings of the church overrule the fact that this is silent in Scripture. Right. And especially when you start getting into the really more extreme places, mm-hmm. when you get churches like Bethel, California, mm-hmm. where... Um, you have these dominating teachers that are teaching things that are entirely absent in the Bible and sometimes anti-biblical. Oh, yeah. Right? But that's okay because this is God's person, mm-hmm. and you dare not question God's person. Yeah, touch right? not the Lord's anointed, right? Right. It's very, it's very Catholic in that way. It's yeah. exactly where the Catholic Church went wrong and where that led into the Reformation. So that the... That as you go deeper into the theology, you get further from Scripture, yeah, and you can't use Scripture to build those levels of theology is a problem for me. Yeah, um, like the second, the, the only like the second blessing thing, like that's that was a that was taught by Montanus, who was like a heretic in the second third century, right? Right. Like, like there yeah. there is precedent, but it's not good. Yeah. You're right to say that it brings back the Holy Spirit. At least into in a, the conversation. In yeah. a way that, that has had faded some. Mm-hmm. I, I saw, I, I, man, I don't remember what book it was. Anyway, a triangle drawn, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And where we err in overemphasis. And the mainline church overemphasizes God the Father. Mm-hmm. To the point that Christ ends up being just another picture on the wall next to all of the saints. Right. And the Holy Spirit is not talked about at all. Right. Uh, in our group, we overemphasize Christ. Mm. Right? And we, we say things very comfortably like invite Jesus into your heart. Mm-hmm. When the Holy Spirit <laughs> is the one who indwells us. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right? I, mean, we, I don't say invite Jesus in your heart, but you know. You know what I mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> we corporate. I know, I know, I know. And and the Holy Spirit is almost avoided for fear that we would be charismatic. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I know. And I know. And the Father is the one we're saved from. Right. Yeah, he's the big meanie with the big thank stick. You, yeah. Thank you, Jesus, because yeah. otherwise I was going to have to deal with God the Father. Yeah. No, Rather than Jesus saying, I'm not doing anything that he didn't think up and send me here to do. Yeah. yeah right? For sure. Uh, so we overemphasize Christ. Mm-hmm. And and I would say charismaticism overemphasizes the spirit, mm. uh, which is what this triangle 
description was pointing out uh, to the point that a lot of a lot of the practices and teachings and things like that come along. I, I've even heard them say those people over there and literally point to our church <laughs> believe in the Father, the Son and the Holy Bible. Right. And right. not the Holy Spirit. Right. As if the scripture was not the preeminent work of the Holy Spirit right. to preserve the word for us. Mm. Right? Yeah. Uh and so so that it's not in the Bible, that it make contradict the Bible, whatever. That I see that as a problem is my problem because I should just be more open to the notion that comes to me. Right. Which I'm going to say I don't see in Scripture, and they're going to say, "See, you're doing it again." Right, right. Uh, but that's my own my own personal conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, sin will cost you your salvation. There yep. is no preservation of the saints no. in uh, any Pentecostal or Charismatic movement. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, you you may be saved by faith, but you're not kept there. Right, um, and then and then lastly. Uh, struggle that I have is the lack of the encouragement of this kind of practice in Scripture, right? Like in all of the epistles, we don't see them highlighting the things that are taking place in Acts right? and saying, you do these things as well, right? We don't see Paul, when he encourages Timothy to study the scripture and to teach the scripture. He he leaves it there. He doesn't talk about healings or tongues. Mm-hmm. There's no discussion. Like I know that in a in a debate, people hate an argument from absence. Right. I, I I'm not one of those people. I think an argument from absence is a valid argument mm. if we're going to say we have an authoritative text. Right. Right. And so that. All of these practices are not only devoid in history, but are devoid from Scripture. And what we're doing is we're taking descriptions of an event and calling it prescription for the church. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see that. That's that's a struggle that I have. Right. Um, and again, again, just to disclaim this thing into the ground, I I do have these conversations mm-hmm. with friends of mine that are Pentecostal. Just say, hey, help me understand, because. I genuinely believe that they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. I yeah. I was a member of a church that was unofficially Assembly of God, officially non-denomination, for years. Love right. that church. I visit it when I go home. Right. Right. I have a lot of great friends, and I grew spiritually in that place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but even while I was there teaching in that church, sat down with the pastors, and we had our conversation about, right. you can go this far, but then you got to stop. Right. And putting, I put myself under their authority mm-hmm. as my pastors, and I said, okay, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also want to be upfront for you to know that I don't get on with that before mm-hmm. I teach in your church. Right. And we, we agree to disagree. And mm-hmm. I agreed to only go so far. Right. Right. Would I make that decision today? Probably not. Mm. Right. Um, but if someone told me that they did, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, so 
so that's not to to just say like we're here trying to theologically burn down yeah no three quarters of the churches in our town <laughs> um feels but, that way sometimes but there are reasons yeah there are reasons why we don't get along yeah Theologically. Yeah, theologically. And, and why we're not together. Right, yeah. There's a reason why we don't just all merge into one giant mega church of Stratford. Yeah, and right? it's not about style. That's the big thing that I would say. A lot of people are like, charismatic churches are people who just like the music louder. Yeah, they like the clap and... and they, like, they like it fun, <laughs> yes. and you like it quiet. And I would say just to kick off the what they got right, mm. my Pentecostal brothers and sisters have a better church atmosphere. Oh, for sure. I'm gonna. I'll go out and say better. Yeah. Oh, and for sure. I I wish we had elements of that atmosphere in our church. Yeah. Yeah. People feeling enthusiastic. People feeling more free to clap along, mm-hmm. raise their hands. Um, they're so eager to pray for each other. Yeah. Yeah. They sure. genuinely believe that when they pray for each other, they are speaking to God, and things are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of my positives for for the Pentecostal movement is just the way that they they understand prayer. And again, yeah. we don't we're not binding God's will or forcing his hand, but the idea of like that prayer is the is the first thing that they're mm-hmm. just going to do. There's a situation, pray. Right yeah. here, right then, right there, they'll stop you in the lobby. It's not like, oh, it's not this polite, oh, I might, you know, I might I might add you to a list that I may or may not actually have and, and maybe pray for you some other time. Like, they just do it right then and there. Right. They put their hand on you and they pray for you. And I, and I would say throwing it even out of our Baptist circles and into, because we're in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition sure, in Canada, sure. throwing it into our TGC circles. Sure. I would say we've moved to a point where a lot of people would say, yeah, I'll pray for you, but what can I do practically? Right. What more can I do? Right. Whereas I, I think these Pentecostal churches are like, I'm going to intercede for you mm-hmm. with the God of all creation. Yeah. What do you mean, what more can I do for you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. No, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, and I think, yeah, so I think like the the enthusiasm, the emphasis on prayer, the, you know, reminder that the spirit is working and active, you know, mm-hmm. among us. And, and that like, obviously, you know, people understood that to be true on a theological level, but on like a ground level, like that the spirit is working, right. Um, that the spirit does empower people for service and this sort of thing. And it's not just kind of this obscure, you know, that pneumatology, the study of the Holy spirit is just like this thing that we've got in a nice tidy box, but we keep that box on the shelf because, it's weird. We don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's for. I think what the, the Pentecostal movement has done is it's forced Baptists and, and the Reformed and other groups like that to take that box off the shelf, re-examine it, mm-hmm. and say, okay, what do we actually believe about this? We're not on the same page as the Pentecostal movement, but this is something that we have neglected. Yep. Right. And so I think that's been a, a net positive for our churches. I think to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's forced us to to you know to to understand okay well, where where do we stand if we're not there then where are we mm-hmm. and um and so and I continue to appreciate and that you know that kind of thing comes up as I interact with my charismatic brothers and sisters um you know in these conversations to be like okay well what do, what do I deal with that right someone's like look I was at a church the lady started speaking in tongues and there was a dude from New Zealand who's like, that's Maori. That's literally a language of the native people. And it's like, okay, why did that happen? Well, this person was a non-believer, was in the church 
the church building and that confirmation that this person just suddenly starts speaking a language that like he knows from his home, like that kind of thing. Like I'm not a strict, I wouldn't be what you call a strict cessationist nor a continuationist, which hopefully I don't, I'm mean, just like, everyone can hate me, I guess. But like that kind of thing, I'm not going to stand here and say, that's not real. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Right. I think there's space for that kind of thing in the way that God works. Yeah. Um, but that's not glossolalia. That's, that's xenoglossy. That's, that's yep. so again, there's, there's distinctions, right? Just because we're not on the same page doesn't mean we just throw everything out. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would also add they, they're optimistic. Yeah. Maybe yeah. sometimes to a fault, but <laughs> they're optimistic about what God is going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas we can be in a place where we just feel like everything that comes against us is the sky falling. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Right. Yeah, it's true. They they have a better grasp on the fact that the darkness will come against but not overcome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And their music is better. Their music is That's better. That's a personal taste. We're catching up. <laughs> it's getting better. It's getting better. <laughs> Anything else? No, I'm good, man. I'm good. All right. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. Take care.